Hey guys, this is M jumping in here just to let you know that if you're listening to this podcast on or after January 16th, 2024, I have a new book out. It's called Old Time Religion. I'll put a little link in the show notes just in case you're interested. It's the sequel to the book that I wrote last May, Dionysus in Wisconsin, and it's basically more of the same, an urban fantasy type romp around Madison, Wisconsin in the early part of 1970. Um, there's, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, a musical version of Macbeth, and a little bit of Welsh mythology. So if that sounds like something you're into, please check it out. And otherwise, have a great day and keep it medieval. Veni, veni, venias, and welcome to our podcast. Good evening, and welcome to Ask a Medievalist. I'm M, the Ask portion of our program, and joining me tonight, as always, is Dr. Jesse Noose. Hello! So, for the listeners, hopefully you won't notice uh, that that we had a little bit of a break here. We took, I want to say, about six weeks off total. Um, I was working on a novel. I was taking care of someone who had knee surgery. Jesse moved house and had yep. midterms. <laughs> like, it, we've had a lot of hectic, exciting stuff. But now we're back and... Yes, we tried to record this track last week and totally forgot how to do a podcast. So fingers crossed. (laughs) Yeah, fingers crossed that this week everything works totally right and perfectly. Okay, so the backstory to this episode is that even when we're not actively recording, I still collect little bits of let's call it bad history that I can I can text to <laughs> Jesse to make her reply with angry emojis basically yes um <laughs> boo this is, yes this is how I this is how I entertain myself on these long cold spring days here in Wisconsin um so I was listening to a podcast that is primarily about the wellness industry. Um, I really like it most of the time. It's called Maintenance Phase. Uh, they're pretty popular, so I don't I don't feel bad mentioning them by name. You know, they can probably take it when all <laughs> all six of our <laughs> listeners write them angry letters or something. Probably not. You guys are really no, nice. No. You won't do that. Um, right. <laughs> but so they had this episode that I was listening to about snake oil, as in. The idea, like the phrase snake oil salesman, somebody who sells fake medicine, basically. Um, and during the episode, they were talking about the history of snake oil and medicine shows. And they had quotes from a book called Snake Oil, Hustlers, and Ham Bones by Anne Anderson. And I'm just going to read a oh. little <laughs> chunk of this. Um On farms, outhouses were located near wells, and clothing was caked with manure and worn until it fell apart. Even the beds of the wealthy were infested with vermin. Bathing was considered an eccentricity. Um, so, this 
appeared to be i i dug up the book uh online it appeared that she was talking about this period early america i would call it like 1776 Mm -hmm. to 1826 um you know roughly the the era that you see um in hamilton and right thereafter yes (laughs) i'm gonna give him credit now it's it's the hamilton era uh i went I went through to the text that she cites, which is the Great American Medicine Show by David Armstrong and Elizabeth Metzger Armstrong, um, which was a little bit different. And it seemed to be suggesting that bathing didn't really become commonplace in the sense we think of it now until people installed bathtubs in their houses. But most people were fairly clean and neat but they didn't bathe in the sense of like immersing themselves in water regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and this eventually took me to a 1939 tract on bathing by a guy named Dr. William Alcott. I, yes, I realized wow. that this is a lot to chase down. Um, That's but awesome though. He, yeah. He mentioned in his, in his thing, like perhaps there's no greater country in the world favored with greater facilities for bathing than the United States. And yet there are few portions of the civilized world in which it is believed to be so generally neglected. Um, But then you start to say, what is bathing even, right? Like, to some extent, it seemed as though he was talking about, as I mentioned, immersing yourself in water, not just like washing yourself so you don't smell. So the question (laughs) becomes... This is, you know, yes. I think that this is a very common thing that people think of about the Middle Ages, especially, is yes. did people bathe? And yes. I specifically remember being told that they did not. I right. was told that it was considered bad or it made you weak or more susceptible to sickness. Ah. Yeah, right. So mm, um, right. <laughs> at the same time. I look at a lot of art from the Middle Ages and thereafter. I've never seen anybody painted with manure on their clothing. Um, right. People generally... And sometimes you see people in baths. Yes, you do. <laughs> so... Or, or swimming. Right. right, swimming, definitely, yeah. Um. So a lot of literature from the time, nobody mentions anybody smelling bad, generally, right. or um, being dirty, mm-hmm. unless... You know, unless it's something super notable, right? Like if somebody is in a fight and then is covered with dust, then that might get mentioned or something. But so we're going to talk today about bathing and cleanliness overall, like personal hygiene. What was it like? Um, Would you have just like had to endure a world of terrible, terrible smells if you fell backward in time? Ah. I love it. So I actually, I want to start with the smell part first, because this is a really interesting thing. It is the thing everyone assumes. And there's actually like in York, England, they famously had, maybe still, I mean, they were redoing it. I think it has come back and they still have it. I'm not sure if COVID affected this in any way, but um, a sort of medieval, I don't know, ride, I guess, a kind of interactive thing that was sort of for like early kind of viking york basically okay um which is something we will have discussed in our you know england before 1066 episodes um and 
one of the things that everyone comments on is the smell that they sort of provide. Now, oh, they provide a smell. That's yes. That now feels we above and beyond. I know. Well, but this is the thing, right? They're trying to really recreate this experience. The okay. thing is, like, we just took a walk through a park today because mm-hmm. it's a gorgeous spring day, um, and you know the. People who do, I don't know, landscape artists have been out in parks around Richmond, um, quite literally shoving along the manure, right? Because they are, right, they're shoving it along over trees and over flower beds and, Mm -hmm. you know, in preparation for growing things. So when the wind blows the right way. Yeah. Here in Wisconsin, you always have that, you always have that one day in the spring where all of the farmers are putting manure on their fields and. Yep. You go outside and you go, hmm, yeah, that that smells like Wisconsin. Yep. So, yeah, the wind blows the right way and you definitely smell it. Now, the interesting thing, I think, is that it's so notable in some ways because it's not a smell we smell all the time unless we work on a farm. But even mm-hmm. if anyone has been on a farm, I mean, we have both certainly been on them because when you grow up in Illinois, Wisconsin, you've right. visited farms, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Farms don't smell, even farms don't smell like that all the time, right? Right. Like, if you go into the shed where all the cattle are, the horses are, sure. But people, all that stuff gets mucked out. Like, that is a thing, literally, that is a job. Yeah. So, and has always been a job. Um, We're going to talk more about plumbing next time, so we'll talk more about sort of human waste in cities. But honestly, if you have been to a city recently, whichever city it is that you wish to have been to, um... You have definitely, definitely walked past and probably smelled plenty of human waste. Oh, yeah. You know, New York subways, outside of bars. Yeah. I mean, if you live in a rural area by a bar, I'm sure that, you know. So, um, I do think there's this weird way in which, um, like all other things, right, we want to differentiate ourselves from the people that we think... We're not as good as us. <laughs> and this is one of the ways we do it. Right? Yeah. The funny thing is that things aren't necessarily, as, first of all, as different as we think they were. Um, because a lot of this stuff is still around, for example, in cities. Mm-hmm. Maybe not to the same extent, but certainly is. Um, and secondly, we vastly, vastly, vastly either underestimate or maybe just forget the smells that we're used to. Mm-hmm. Which is to say, basically, pollution. Right. right. Um, someone from the Middle Ages who came forward in time to a modern city um, would probably have, like, instantaneous asthma and pneumonia. Right? Ooh. Like, yeah. you just wouldn't, you know. Um, it's just one of those things. So, right before the Industrial Revolution, <laughs> arguably, things were generally cleaner in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm than they have been since. Even in cities where you try to take care of that stuff, that aren't absolutely filled with smog all the time, it's still kind of terrible. Yeah. I remember arriving in China, um, this would have been about 2005, and the gasoline, I don't know if they were using 100% unleaded gasoline there at the time Mm. or what the story was, but it yeah. was very noxious exhaust. And after mm-hmm. a while, you do stop noticing it because it's just yeah. always, like, there's so many cars. I was living mm-hmm. in Tianjin, which is a huge, huge city. 
And then one day it rained for like 12 hours. And after that, like one of my classmates was like, it's like the whole city just blew its nose because we went outside. It was like, (laughs) oh, this is nice. Yeah. But like you do, you forget. You don't, you don't notice it after a while. Right. Yeah. And that's true. Right. And there's some funny things like Chicago at night famously smells of chocolate because of a factory nearby. It's the... Mm -hmm smell of the process of the factory um and they were gonna try they were gonna change it and people complained (laughs) because it's like this landmark and it's sort of awesome but it's also i think there's also a weird sense like if you're gonna have pollution it might as well smell like chocolate right yeah (laughs) i mean (laughs) 100 percent. yeah so there's also that side of it Right. that we also things that we are used to like modern pollution we sort of equate differently mm-hmm. right we don't think of it as being similar to having streets with manure which honestly in a lot of ways as long as it's not part of drinking water might be a little cleaner right yeah um it just depends right it just depends so anyway so that's one thing um the other thing is the idea that um bathing so there are so many stories about whichever person like pick your person so and so only bathed two or three times in their whole life i was told um, that about elizabeth the first i think yes and Who some of the louis very get... recent yes comparatively i know yeah. right i mean um, like look at louis the 14th he was so fancy like i'm not sure i can believe that he only bathed twice in his life or something right right and that so this exactly is the point um and actually i think elizabeth is it Raleigh, I think, um, who was so into baths and she was like, you know, I'm surprised you haven't drowned. Um, but the the interesting point, of course, yes, it's the full immersion that we think of. And the funny thing, again, is that today most people or certainly many, many people, maybe most, I don't know, in the U.S., when you're an adult, you take a shower. Right. Yeah. You, you only rarely take baths. Right. Baths are relaxing. They're sort of ritual. They're whatever. Maybe they're romantic. But. In our everyday life, we usually take showers, mm-hmm. which is not a bath, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, by definition, you are not immersing yourself in yeah. water. You're just having it poured over you. I don't. Right? I mean, like, I'm a busy person. I do not. The last time I clearly remember taking a bath was when I was in labor and the nurses told me it would help make it less painful. Aha. Did it? So, uh, uh so so <laughs> right like it's labor there's not a lot right there's not a Women lot are told to do other than have for baby. like menstrual cramps and though yeah stuff yeah so that is something that people do for bathing but but that actually brings us back to one of the things about bathing meaning full immersion is that it can be healing which mm-hmm. is its history the history of bathing is generally it's about ritual cleansing it's about healing it can also be about cleanliness and hygiene Mm-hmm. But generally, like, washing and bathing are two different things. So when people say so-and-so only took a bath three times in their life, that means they only sat in a thing or a place where they were fully immersed in water that many times. Uh-huh. But they washed. <laughs> <laughs> or they had people wash them, of course, if they were royalty. Right. That's where we say it's good to be the king. Yes. Exactly, right? But it is, it's a really important distinction because, yes. yes, it leaves us with the impression that somehow people weren't washing. And, of course, they were washing, just 
maybe not actual bands. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny because right now this is actually a debate that's been going around because like during COVID and stuff, some people were like, I've stopped taking showers. I've stopped, you know, bathing. Um, not for good, but you know, like suddenly right. people who'd normally taken a shower every day were like, meh, every other day, every couple days is fine. Right. I because... mean, if you're not leaving your house. Exactly. What's it hurt? <laughs> but it became Cough. a really funny debate. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of online and stuff where people are like, oh my god, you know, or celebrities, da da, this, that, and the other. Um, now of course there've always been famous people who like didn't necessarily wash a lot, mm-hmm. who didn't care to shower. <laughs> I mean, you know, like rock stars or whoever. I mean, there there are famous. Oh, I was instances. gonna say, who's that guy, Howard Hughes? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> recluses also recluses, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so but there is this sort of interesting commentary. So that was going around the debate. Um, then there's other debates like. Um, I think this was on the route, you know, to what extent this is true, who, who knows, but, um, the idea that, uh, African-Americans use, wa- use washcloths, but white people do not, <laughs> hmm. um, it's made it onto some TV shows as well. Um, okay. yeah. And, but it's this the idea of like, so what do, so in some ways, what we consider washing and being, washing and being clean is still in a lot of ways kind of culturally specific. Mm-hmm. Right, everyone thinks they do and they are for the most part, but people still do have different ways of going about it, right? Um, and how you think you become clean, right? So if you like stand in the shower long enough, does everything just wash off? Do you need to actually use soap everywhere? Like, <laughs> right? People, have no, been... you stand in the shower long enough, and all of the depression washes away, and then you just yes. <laughs> use the soap on on the peanut butter or whatever, right? That too. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so all of these sort of interesting things, right? It's still a debate. Um, and it takes us back to, therefore, what's my favorite example, which is Monty Python, um, where they're satirizing this idea, right? But they satirize it all the time. So when Graham mm-hmm. Chapman goes galloping by, but of course he's, you know, with coconuts, um, clap, clap, clap. And uh, he's Arthur, of course, right? And someone's like, oh, there goes a king. And someone else says, how do you know? He ain't got shit all over him, right? Um, <laughs> and <laughs> so that idea, right, that somehow royalty can manage to maintain their cleanliness and other people can't. Um, and in the Bring Out the Dead scene, famously, someone, um, I don't remember, I don't know, was it Michael Palin? Anyway, someone's cl- crawling around in the mud the whole time, just in the back of the shots. But that was like the point, was that, this is the center of how we think of the Middle Ages is like peasants yeah. crawling around in the mud, literally crawling around in the mud, right? Um, and then when we get to like Dennis the peasant, who of course the famous like democracy oh, yes. politics. I didn't vote for you. Right. <laughs> yes. Just become, because some aquatic, what do you say? Some tart through a aquatic sorting. tart lobbing scimitars that people <laughs> yes. have no basis for a system of government. Yes. So, um, but Dennis... Um, and his wife, I believe, are piling, like, piling mud on top of mud. Yeah, they're just, like, stacking yes. it up for some reason. Yep. Yeah. Because that's another satire. They've talked about it. Like, it was the satire again of the Middle Ages, that somehow it's just peasants crawling in mud and stacking mud and probably eating mud. <laughs> right? Because the satire right. of how we view this time, right? Which, of course, is not in many ways so different from our own, really. It's a huge satire, right? And yes. it's, the thing is, though, a lot of people... Even though the whole thing is satire, because that is what Monty Python does, some people don't exactly view that part so much as the satire. Even though, of course, that part is part of the satire. 
Mm-hmm. Right? People did not crawl out into the mud, ever. Certainly not by choice. This right. is not a thing that people do by choice. Right? Um, but the famous line, of course, about the king um, not having shit on him, that is important because washing can obviously be about access. So mm-hmm. clean water this is 100% something that can make a difference in how often you can wash in any kind of wash. And um, that has always been a problem and to this day is a huge, huge problem. So again, this is not something that is specific to the Middle Ages, right? Flint, Michigan still doesn't have water, right? Tons of places, and not just Flint, I mean, places across Michigan, a lot of places across the U.S. actually, do not have access to clean water. Um, This is definitely true, sort of um, a lot of Native American land to this day doesn't have running water, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so clean water is, even in the U.S. and certainly around the globe, is a huge, huge, huge problem. Clean water, running water. Um, so that is definitely a problem, but not in any way specific to the Middle Ages or any other time period. Um, so really, when it comes to cleaning, uh, the things that have been improved upon our plumbing which we'll talk about next time because plumbing is awesome and deserves its own episode yes Yes. but um but that's really where the improvements have come um in other things (laughs) like how you wash and what you use to wash with like soap um we certainly have you know different types today but you know a lot of natural soaps do work just as well for most things, right? Maybe not to get wine out of your white whatever, but like... <laughs> right. Um, well, I generally feel like speaking, we, we talked a bit about the soap making process, right? And it's like a fat plus um, yes. lye. Or, yes. yeah, they do... And we'll talk a little ash. bit more about it today. Right, and... Yeah. Yeah, and that... Um, I think even today, sometimes you look at a bottle of body wash or something... And if it doesn't have the fat plus lye in it, like, you can't legally call it soap. Right. So, like, the the actual soap thing, I feel like, has changed very little. Right. Because that's that's just chemistry. Mm-hmm. Chemistry is what it is. So, you can yeah. come up with... And actually, um, so here are some fun things. Let's start with soap. Why not? Yeah. Um, okay, so soap. Yeah. Um, it's the salt of a fatty acid. So it's fats and oils with a base. Okay. Um, and detergent is a cleanser. Um, so that's more like um, certain salts or things mixed together, right? Um, so that's more of a chemical, um, a cleanser, right? A soap. Mm-hmm. This is what makes a soap a soap and not a detergent or a cleanser is that it okay. does have to have this mix, right? So fats and oils with a base. Okay. Um, so, um, famously soap can be made out of so many things. I don't know, Fight Club comes to mind. Anyway. Um, (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying. (laughs) Many things can be used to make soap, is the point. Yep, yep. Um, but anyway, uh, in recorded history. So it goes, soap has been around since before recorded history, which tells you how long people have been bathing and washing their clothes. Yes. Right? Because... You know, by the time it got written down, it was pretty clearly already around. Because <laughs> it's in some of our earliest written records. Um, so Sumeria, right? Which is oh, Mes- yeah, that's Mesopotamia. The first one. Um, yep. 
so there are tablets that describe making soap. Um, in this case, it was from the rev- resin of conifers. So fir trees, right? Um, and then oil and wood ash. Was it Lebanon mm-hmm. that has big, big pine trees? Yeah, well, things like the cedars of Lebanon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. So they're, you know, they're using what they got. Um, and oil and wood ash is particularly, I guess, were good for wool clothing. Okay. Um, just says. But anyway, so soap was already being made. <laughs> um, so one of the early things we've got is this tablet with a recipe on it for soap. Okay. Um, describing how to make it. Um, and describing that the oil and wood ash is really good for um, wool. Um, but absolutely, right? You'd use the same thing for yourself as you used for your clothes. Mm-hmm. And um, it's worth also pointing out that um, some people also thought that soap was was medicinal. Right? So not just to be clean, but that, um, you know, if you had a rash or if you had, you know, whatever that oh. soap would help. Which, of course, it might be if the problem was that you needed to be cleaner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? I um, can see that. Okay. Definitely would. Right? Yeah. So, um, anyway. So then, let's... Uh, Babylonia and Egypt. So, moving forward a little bit in time. Um, you have soap made from plant ash, oils, and or animal fat. So, there you go. Um, Egypt, of course, famously has... Um, Natron, the salt that was used in mummification, Do we which know is a cleanser. What, what that hmm? is? is yes, that... they figured it out. Yeah, it's a salt, okay. and they they know the recipe basically, or the, the more the chemical composition. I mean, it's a salt. It's a type of salt that's just around. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, okay. So it's a natural thing. Basically, it's a natural. It's basically a natural salt. Yeah. Um, and I mean, salt is natural. Right. Right. You can make salts, you can make salts also that aren't, of course, that are chemical, 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 that we create. All chemicals are, I mean, everything's a chemical. But yes, you can make chemical salts in a laboratory, I guess. Yes. But many of them are also naturally occurring. Okay. The ones we eat, for example. But yes, also this. Um, but this was also, so it was a salt used for, but it was also used as a cleanser. Okay. But again, this is more of a, this is a detergent, right? Because it's a salt. So it's. It's not the fats mixed. Right. Um, so, anyway. Um, and again, right. All these soaps, not Natron so much, but the soaps that we're talking about um, used for people, for clothing, for skin ailments. Um, throughout kind of the Middle East, or certainly the, like the Levant, um, olive oil is generally used rather than animal fat. Okay. Because, of course, you've got the famous, like, olive trees, right, throughout the yeah. area. Yeah. You have um, it, use it, you know. Yeah. And to this day, like, um, you know, Italy and Greece and a lot of places with olives that have famous olives produce, still produce soap with olive oil that you can sort okay. of buy online that's now very fancy. <laughs> I feel like I may have been gifted some of that at one yeah. point. Yeah. It's really good. I mean, of course, it's like, again, like, soap is soap. So, <laughs> but it is. It's very nice. It smells yes. good. Um, smell, of course, is one of the big things, right? So we're talking about smell. Um, yeah, you wash your clothes on this stuff and they smell good. And pretty one quickly. Thing. One time I was having really bad skin um, 
issues and I mm-hmm. the only the only thing I had in the house that seemed moisturizing um was olive oil. So I put olive oil on like my dry skin and then I was like walking around going, "Man, I smell like a pizza place." Yep. Which is hey. I mean, yeah. many worse things to smell like. True. But yeah. Um and actually fairly quickly recipes for soap start including spices. Mhm. Right? Um, of, you know, whatever is local, basically. So the idea that this is partly also to make you smell good and make your clothes smell good, that is definitely part of the purpose, right? Um, so this idea, again, of smelling, of people being smelly and smelling, um, they were highly aware of this and took as much <laughs> sort of, you know, precaution against it as, as possible, right? Nice. Um, yeah. So, um... Okay, Rome, quick jump forward here. Uh, Pliny the Elder, who of course famously dies in Vesuvius, um, discusses soap made from tallow, animal fat, and ashes. Um, So, and this is, you know, kind of then the standard recipe, really, from then on. Um, The Romans actually discuss, so the Romans then discuss peoples they run into, particularly like the Celts and the Gauls, who use a soap that's milder than Rome's. Oh. Um, yeah. And so they um, really like it, basically, and start importing it. <laughs> right? So what they start okay. doing is using their own soap on their clothes, and then, mm. like, the imported soap, basically, um, on themselves. Sure. Um, Galen discusses lye soap. So now we're getting to lye, right? Which is today um he likes apparently likes german soap and soap from gaul so those are his personal faves so we've already gotten into a point where soap from certain places is starting to be more famous than soap from other Mm -hmm. places right um which is true to this day i mean you can order stuff online right um or just go into fancy bath stores and you get like fancy french soaps or whatever right (laughs) Or soaps, like I said, from the Mediterranean that are made with olive oil, right? All this stuff. Yeah. So, um, okay, by the time we get into medieval Europe, so that's early Europe, right? That's like Roman period Europe. So, yeah, so this what is we kind of before, call ancient. Yeah, before the year 400. Yes. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we're going to jump forward into the Middle Ages, so after 500. Um, Spain and Italy start to become known for their soaps, um, which, and arguably, sort of still are honestly. Um, and there are a variety of interesting medieval soap recipes. Um, there's an encyclopedia, I think known as the Trinity Encyclopedia, so late 14th century Middle English. Okay. Um, and this encyclopedia has a collection of detailed 14th century English craft recipes um, that have apparently been collected sort of from several individuals, a number of written sources, um, and include things like manufacturing pigments, dyeing, preparing skins and furs, imitating expensive imported leathers, counterfeiting semi-precious materials. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So instead of getting it from abroad, the real thing, how to do it cheaper, right? Which we, of course, still do all of this stuff. So so this is amazing, also because... I think I was reading a manual on, you know, like, how to move to India, written in, like, 1882, and the guy was writing about how a lot of Western goods are made, you know, imitation 
or counterfeit here. Oh wow! So this like this has not changed. Of course, no, no. if you've ever you know been to, I don't know, almost anywhere, will make fake designer whatevers. Right. I had <laughs> a number of really amazing um, fake Omega watches. Awesome. Or faux Omega. Yes. After I came home from Asia. Yay. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Right. But yeah, so this is how to how to do it, right? Because um, in this case, of course, at this point in time in England, so we're talking like the 1300s, right? In England, expensive imported stuff comes from somewhere else, right? Right. Um, which is, say, further east and south. <laughs> um, England still being kind of a backwater. Yes. Just... You know. I mean, Sorry, England. Great things are happening, but yes, in in terms of this kind of thing, yes, definitely. Hold on, you'll get there. I know, I refuse, eventually. I refuse to feel that bad for them long term. But. Oh no, please. <laughs> I mean, and the funny thing is, England is never really known for its goods. It just becomes known for, like, you know, its art, which is great. Yeah. Mostly for its theater. Heck. Sure. Could be worse. Worthwhile. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, and then they do conquer the globe, so it's not like... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean... And then they get they everybody just... else's goods. So and then they get everybody else's goods. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yes, one does not feel bad for them. Because they are colonials. Okay. But in 1300, they're still working on all this. Okay. So, um, late 1300s. Uh, but anyway, so, um, in, included in all of these things, you'll notice, right, a lot of it's sort of about goods. And included in all these things are recipes for making soaps. Okay. Right? Presumably to help take care of, like, the skins and furs and imitation leather and stuff that you're doing. Right? Um, so the soaps. Okay. Uh, here's the recipe. <laughs> um, ashes from an oak tree. So apparently, you know, that's their preferred in this case. Right. Um, and then animal fat, tallow. Um, lime, so quicklime, heated to become okay. quicklime, right? Um, salt, flour, water. Um, and then you need a pot and a pan and a strong stir stick. Okay. <laughs> Um, and the recipe sort of tells you what to do, right? So that you, um, get the ashes into a pot that's sort of three or four gallons in size, um, add a couple gallons of scalding hot water, stir it, let it sit. This is how you get lye. <laughs> then you add, uh, two generous ounces of quicklime, two more gallons of boiling water, stir, let it stand, um... And then from there, you get sort of the specifics of how you add the tallow um, of a sheep, preferably, that has completely melted beforehand. Right, so that's okay. hot fat, right? And then you need your... No, I wish I knew enough about anything to know why sheep. Um, That's just the recommended. I guess they, it's a good, okay. I guess, soft, clean... Good tallow, sure. ...fat. Yeah, right? Um, and then this is when you need your good large stir stick... Right? Um, so after you've, like, they've had you divide up the lye into three pots, right, and then add all the tallow. Okay, now you're stirring it up with your large stir stick. Um, and when it's completely, when the tallow is completely molten in your lye, so you, all this is really mm -hmm. hot, add to it half an ounce of white salt, stir them, then flour, then a portion of your cold lye, and then draw it through a linen cloth into a dish. Um, all right. Sort of in the manner of a starch, put that 
and your other materials in your brazen pan. Stir them all well together with your stick. Um, if it rises up, take it and beat it back down with a ladle, continually <laughs> stirring until your material becomes so thick that you can see the base of your vessel during the stirring. Meaning, presumably, oh, like, as you stir, yeah. you can, like, Okay. It's like leaving a yeah enough of a mark in its wake. Yeah. yeah so you can see it. This is um, like um, making pata shoe. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Don't, do not eat. Like, no, no. Um, and so that it, it stands when you push it with your stick without any running together. That's when you know it's enough. Okay. Um, if the lye and tallow aren't mixing together well, you need to keep adding more lye until they all hold together. Um, okay. And now you can put it in a mold. And set it so you get a nice cake of soap. <laughs> um, and it, the recipe says, I guess, that you can make larger portions if you want, but you will need bigger pots and pans, which of course. <laughs> if you already you know, divided it into three dishes, this sounds like a really big recipe. At the end, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's because you need like the cold lye and the. Right. Yeah. So you have the one that you get really hot that you mix everything else in, and then you slowly add the others back in, and then stirring it all. Um, but anyway, so that's, that's what we get by the time we get to this point. Um, but yeah, like I said, there's also the fact that, um, this one does not specify adding spices of any kind, but a lot do, right? That's going becomes very common. Um, this is probably because this is England in the late 1300s. They don't have access to all the spices yet. I mean, that's kind of the point right. of this whole manual is how to make things you can't get. Right. Um, so in other places, they have better access to a lot of spices. England, of course, also will eventually start adding spices to their... Um, and, you know, it's very common to this day, like, even adding, like, flower petals and stuff for smell. Um, you know, so that's frequently soap smells like is flowers of some kind, right? Yeah. Anyway, so, but that's... <laughs> so soap has an incredibly long history, right? It's longer, probably, apparently, than recorded history. Um, it has been around forever. Certainly for, you know, a very, very long time. So, yeah. So soap. So just the basis of soap and washing your skin with soap and washing your clothes with soap. This has been around long, 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 long time. Um, Hooray. Washing your skin with soap is, can depend, right? Some people viewed it as more medicinal than clean, but both of these things definitely existed. Yeah. I feel like a lot of that treatise on on bathing um, that I read really actually did address the medicinal aspects of it. And like, even <laughs> down to should you use cold water? Should you use warm water? Should you yes. go swimming with your buddies after work on a Friday night? Or is that yes. like, not going to have the same benefits i guess yes and no. that's one of the places where i think people get confused again mm -hmm. because one of the big things was with the middle ages right um particularly the plague so the plague comes along we all know what that's like except we don't yeah. because we lost <laughs> a lot of people but not quite as many as they did in the the black death the first yeah. the first go round, of course later grow rounds not as many people were lost but right when it first sort of came through kind of in roman era and then the middle of the Middle Ages, both yeah. of those times, right? The first time something comes through, you miss, you lose a lot of people. Um, or to be fair, I, the bubonic plague, it disappeared for a few hundred years and came back, so it, it yeah. took everyone that second time. But yeah. Let's just say, don't get the plague. Right. It's not don't good. Don't get it. <laughs> it's <laughs> not good. But anyway, so, but one of the things that happened was, um, there was then a lot of fear 
again, right, they weren't, we talked about this in some of our previous episodes, right? They weren't idiots <laughs> any more than we are today. There are always going to be people who are like, you cannot tell me what to do. I refuse to do whatever. <laughs> but then there are always going to be people who are who are getting a sense, right? One of the interesting things about medicine, even before they sort of understood what germs were, was that there were really incredible case case records. Yes. Right? They were really great at observation. And they definitely understood that large gatherings of people were bad. So it's why, for example, even in Shakespeare's day, when the plague would come back through London, they'd shut all the theaters. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, they would, there were basically types of quarantine rules. Right. Which is to say no large gatherings. <laughs> right. So they didn't realize what was spreading the plague, which was probably fleas. Right. Um, but they did know that if you got a lot of people together, and maybe some of them had the plague but hadn't started showing symptoms yet, soon you would have a big problem. Yes. Yes. That you would have a what we would call a super spreader event, which yes. they did not call it that, but yes. <laughs> Thank goodness. So... Yeah. But anyway, so they so they would cancel large groups of people, right? Large group events would get canceled. So um, one of the things that happened after the plague went through the first time was same thing. They're like, well, you know, large groups seem to spread it faster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and one of the things they were worried about were baths, which actually is totally freaking fair. Public baths mm-hmm. are a place where you'd put all your clothes somewhere, and if there were fleas on them they'd hop to other people's clothes and you'd all go wash and you might wash your clothes but you know some of those fleas would get to someone else right and they'd spread so it's not totally wrong but Mm -hmm. the problem was one of the theories about it was that the hot water was opening your pores and making you more vulnerable yes and when i say hot water is opening their your pores uh, it's not clear that that's exactly how they thought of it, although that is actually how things work. But they but they had a sense of that this is what's happening anyway. Mm-hmm. But they thought that it made me more vulnerable to disease. Um, which, yes, so then the idea of public baths. But it wasn't the idea of bathing necessarily specifically, right? It's the idea of the right. public baths because you have large groups of people together and also the idea of the hot water, mm-hmm. right? Which is then where the idea of cold baths or cold showers even today we say take a cold shower the idea i mean we use that sort of as a metaphor but there is a sense somehow that a cold shower is healthy there are people who do ice bathing or the ice jumps or the cold water whatever it's called anyway oh, yeah, the there are people plunge. who oh and wim yeah. hof wim hof method where yes they yes intentionally that's like sit out in the snow in their underwear yes that's where I'm going. So yeah. that, that idea of, yes, the cold somehow being healthy in a way that the hot water is not. Now, obviously, we have the reverse because we have like steam baths that yes. are all about hot, right? So both of these things still exist. That's me. Yes. But but that is a thing that does happen, right? So there is this then, there is this sort of suspicion of bathing, certain types of bathing, right? So public bathing, does it spread disease? Um, which, of course, it can at certain times. Yes. Right. Or hot water. Is that a problem? Anyway. So, but it's not necessarily about washing. Right. But trying to figure out what's what's going on. Right. Um, I feel like we should so note that, yeah. like, we mentioned earlier that, like, people didn't install bathtubs in their houses. Like, public baths as a phenomenon 
I guess right. I had previously thought of it as like a Japanese thing. Um, Ooh, yes. Mostly because I've seen it in movies. Right. But Well, should we move on to baths? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because like it turns out there were public baths in London at least through like the end of the 19th century. Oh yeah. So this was a so, big thing, public baths. Yes. Yes. Um, okay, so baths again. Baths are incredibly old. <laughs> The idea of bathing is, in, of course, bathing is incredibly old. I mean, as right. old as streams and rivers, right? But um, baths as a specific thing that you build are also very old. Um, okay, so uh, there are some things to note here that in addition to the trying to figure out, you know, public baths, are they spreading things? Is hot water bad? Is cold water better? Um, there are also some other weird things. So, for example, we have the saying today that, like, cleanliness is next to godliness yeah um but that in medieval europe that was not necessarily considered to be true some people thought it was true but some people thought that to not wash it all and be as dirty as possible was a form of penance right that essentially if you were being eaten alive by lice and skin disease that that was a form of penance (laughs) um yeah so there are also then some famous saints who apparently like really didn't ever not just bathe but wash you know like wearing a hair shirt next to yourself and then it would be found after their death to be infested with lice and stuff yeah oh no yeah yeah Um, to the point that they'd have to fumigate their clothing before trying to give it away to the poor because the poor (laughs) did not were not as infested with lice (laughs) right so this is where we mentioned that of course in the past people did have, have a harder time avoiding tiny livestock um in ways that you know (laughs) <laughs> today we hopefully have a better ability if we live at least in certain parts of the world basically yes but they did definitely try their best it is why you absolutely washed yourself you washed your clothes your you switched your clothes regularly right so if you could afford to you had more clothes and you would switch them out and eventually we get to the point where like royalty changed their clothes several times a day mm-hmm. which we know because if you've ever read like you know, not even just Jane Austen, but even for a few hundred years before her. Um, but, you know, people are always changing for dinner and changing for this and changing yes, for that. Yes, you you're always, you're you always changing. Like a, <laughs> day, a morning coat and then, like, maybe something for the afternoon and you dress for dinner. Right. Um, and yeah. I should point out, there is a scene in Henry the Fourth, Part 1, I think, where, like, there are two guys who are leaving a hotel are, like, complaining about the the lice and stuff. So it was yes. definitely, like, something people would notice and be unhappy about. Yes. No, 100%, right? It was not <laughs> um, not a thing that you were expected to necessarily have to put up with. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, for Shakespeare, yeah, lice is absolutely, right, whenever they're mentioned, they're definitely a sort of insult, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because that is the idea that you, the even, I mean, always... They have meant that you are not as clean as you should be. Yes. Right? Um, and that is kind of the point, you know, I mean, the famous, like, playground cooties, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. But this is, this kind of is the point, right? That um, they, it has always been known that they are, sort that they sort of have something to do with cleanliness. Um, actually, you know, in some ways that is and isn't true. I mean, if you're available to them, they'll jump to you, right? Right. <laughs> but, um... But they have always been associated, whether or not it's fair, they have always been associated with cleanliness. 
and definitely, um, yeah, I mean, Shakespeare, but everyone else. I mean, for sort of hundreds of years, there's been an understanding that if you had lice, you were not as clean as you should be. <laughs> um, yeah, and so that's that's a long-standing um, commentary, yeah, which absolutely is also a reminder that people didn't think they necessarily had to put up with it, right? Yes. Um, which actually does bring us, you know, that comment like about people's bedding and stuff. Again, it's all about class because if you were at all able, you would regularly restuff your bedding with new straw. I mean, that, so that is right. absolutely a thing you would do <laughs> um, to avoid things like lice and such, right? Um, and, you know, you might smoke it and stuff and done all these things but anyway so um this is the benefit of being wealthy that you have people that you can pay to do this so you can do whatever it is that you do all day play tennis or import things or whatever whatever rich people do yes (laughs) and uh your servants can you know have time to fix your bed Every day, mm-hmm. or, you know, once a week, or, I don't know. Right. Every so often. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, um, baths, <laughs> um, consequently, had, definitely had a very sort of important, you know, sensibility. Um, so by baths, we're going to talk about both, we're going to talk about actual baths, and then we'll talk mm-hmm. about washing. So okay. different, but so we are going to start with actual immersion. Um, so original immersion, of course, um, was in streams, right, or ponds, sure, or, you know, natural water. <laughs> They're right there. Um, yes, and obviously that was, you know, the whole the whole point. Like, you just would hop in, very easy, and you mm-hmm. could also wash your clothes in there, and that's great. Um, it is worth pointing out that this had pluses and minuses. So in the Middle Ages, actually in Europe, um, there was lots of bathing in rivers and lakes and ponds, um, which is, again, also you'd wash your clothes there. Unfortunately, the reason we actually know how often people bathed, which they actually did very regularly, um, is that there are a lot of records of people drowning. Ooh. Which is very sad. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, there would be an undertow or something. And so that is that is the definitely the downside of yeah. mostly rivers, obviously, or the ocean. <laughs> but um, here we're mostly looking at rivers. Um, although apparently not even just rivers. Like there's, where did I see this? But there was a story of a kid. This is a little bit later, I think. This is like early modern. But, um, or even... Well, early modern, basically. Um, a kid who was, like, trying to wash up his cup and saucer in a trough and fell in and drowned. So a little kid. Yeah. But anyway, so so definitely, but that's sort of where, if you were poor, this is where you could afford to wash yourself. Um, the other thing was, of course, that you, most people had at least two outfits. So you would wear, so you could wa- wear one while you're washing the other one. <laughs> right? And then wash yourself. Some people only had one, so you had to wash yourself and your clothes at the same time. That was tougher, because then you're wet. So you, right. if you only, if you're so poor that you can only have, they only have clothes, they only have one outfit, then you had a lot 
a lot of trouble washing in the winter, basically, mm. um, because it was too cold. I mean, assuming you're in Europe again and not Southern Europe. Um, yeah, so that that could be an issue. Um, so people generally had a much easier time bathing in the summer if you depended on bodies of water because the winter they might freeze. You might freeze. Right. So these were the problems. Uh, the other problem, though, is like spring and summer that there might be an undertow. So drowning. Um, so those were difficult. Um, but that is where, that is the traditional, right? This is where people bathe. Um, but when we talk about baths, okay, we're talking about containers that people make that you can immerse yourself in. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so ancient India has ritual bathing. Many cultures do, but we're going to start here. Um, Egyptians bathed for sure. Um, in these cases, we are talking more about, if not public baths, um, not private individual baths either. Right? So sort of large yes. pools. I mean, I don't know. I know that baths. today, <laughs> for example, it's common if you go on a pilgrimage that, like, the whole group of pilgrims will immerse themselves in the Ganges yes. or something. Yes. Yeah. So it's like that kind of right. That kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so that is the idea, right? And so a lot of times you have baths or bathing facilities around temples. Yeah. Right? Um, but yeah, so Egyptians bathed as well. Um, and then once the Greek Greeks and Romans show up, Egypt has public baths, right? So they do get public baths. Um, the uh, when I say like um, that previously, so sort of um, India, Egypt before the Greeks and Romans, not exactly public baths. It means, of course, um, ritual baths, which are to be used only sort of for certain reasons or certain times or things like this. Right. right? Um, so this is ritual bathing. So this is a good distinction, right? Because people might be washing frequently or even bathing separately just for cleanliness in like a river. Right. But for ritual purposes, that's its own thing, right? So there is a bit of a distinction here. Um, and this, you know, of course, um, the reminder, like Greek and Roman, and then of course they show up in Egypt, public baths uh, tend to be male only. Yeah. And so Roman so, women didn't leave the house very much. Well, you weren't supposed to. I mean, if you're yeah. wealthy, yeah. <laughs> right. Again, if you're poor, right. a lot of things can be okay. different. But, um, but yeah, if you're wealthy, you're supposed to stay in the house, Greece and Rome. Um, if you're poor, obviously you're probably working, you know, but, um, yeah, but they did bathe, but again, they actually didn't bathe. They washed more, Mm -hmm. right? So you'd have, um, so lots of ewer and basin bathing, right? So you'd have a pitcher (laughs) and a basin. This is all the, this is true through medieval Europe. This is just how most people would wash themselves, um, is that you'd have the pitcher in the basin and you'd wash your, you know, hands and face all the time. And then every few weeks you'd wash your hair. Um, and then you'd also wash yourself by having water poured over you or pouring it over yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, the fun thing, um, we were talking about washcloths and stuff earlier. Um, the Greeks definitely used sponges. (laughs) Oh. Yes. Like... Actual sponges, you know, the animals. Sea sea sponges. Yes, which is where we get 
sponges today. Just today, ours are synthetic. Yeah. But you can actually still buy real ones. You can um, you can grow loofahs, too. Like, yeah. it's a plant. It looks like a cucumber. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What I've heard is that if you grow it, you should be prepared. Like, in the same way that when you grow zucchini or cucumbers, you get, like, oh, gosh. more than you would actually yes. want. Like, you should be I prepared see. if you're going to do it, but... To give all your friends loofahs? Yes. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Oh my gosh. But it's just like a it's what? just like a long thing. You you let it dry out, you sort of strip the outside off and at the inside is all um yeah. fibrous. Yeah. Instead of being like edible, like a zucchini right. or whatever. Yeah. Well and that's the thing, right? So sponges are you know, where we get modern sponges. Like that's yeah. yeah. Um but anyway, so the Iliad actually mentions um about Hephaestus. With a sponge, he um, wiped his face in two hands. Oh. So, yeah. Um, and there are images on pottery of Greek women, I would say bathing, but washing with pitchers and basins and sponges. They're very clearly holding okay. sponges. Yeah. Um, so sponges are a thing that were used definitely by the Greeks. Um, you know, other people probably used hands, of course, and such. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so women frequently, until you're wealthy and you get a tub, <laughs> women are generally pitcher and basin, right? And sponges, potentially, if, if you're Greek. Um, so, but that's also true in Europe, right? Um, that's generally what people do when you can't go out to rivers and streams. Um, but yeah, so even in places with public baths, frequently women are not allowed into them, so they're washing up separately but they're still washing right you absolutely are washing um and even public baths like you would still actually probably like do things like wash your hair at home with a pitcher and basin right because the baths are for cleanliness but also really for social stuff like a coffee house today all i'm remembering is like just an endless parade of myths or you know like stories um Mm -hmm. what do you call them like grim stories brother grim yeah fairy tales uh that begin with somebody went down to the river to bathe and then either like something happens right while they're ah, there sure sure like there's yes. just just this endless number of like oh and then their clothes got stolen while they were in the water oh, sure. or, well oh puss in boots is a great one yeah but he does it on purpose <laughs> he hides his master's clothes and i was like you know say that you lost your clothes and that you're the marquis of caribus right and yeah yeah um you pretend your clothes were stolen and all this stuff yeah um but yeah he's taking a bath and he's bathing in the river yeah well a swim whatever he's doing but yeah Yeah. um yeah absolutely right um okay so um this is actually kind of important because again like greece and rome (laughs) um baths are very sort of about homosocial activity basically right men Socializing with, with other the men. Dudes. Yes. Um, and so cleansing, it could, it was about cleansing, sort of, but also what you'd do afterwards is you'd actually rub yourself down with oil. This is also something you do after you worked out. You'd rub yourself down with oil and then you use what was called a strigil, which was basically like this iron tool to scrape any dirt off. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so baths were frequently about sort of the activity and then washing was a thing, again, you probably did with, like, a pitcher and basin mm-hmm. at home. And maybe a sponge. Okay. 
Um, which is also definitely something women did. Okay. Um, but bathtubs do exist really, really early on. So, uh, Minoan Crete, second millennium BCE. Wow. What? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, this is like, I don't know, three and a half, four thousand years ago. Um, there's a private, like a private bathtub. So a individual bathtub in hardened pottery. Okay. That was discovered. Yeah. So, um, Santorini, they found alabaster bathtubs. Okay. So these are, right, this is sort of the Minoan and Greek worlds early. Mm-hmm. Um, there are individual bathtubs. So I said the pitcher and basin, right, but if you're rich enough, you do have a bathtub. <laughs> you can have a bathtub. How big um, were these? Is this like, what do you call it, like a little apple barrel sort of thing, or is this like... No, bigger than that. Okay. You could sit down... Maybe not stretch out with your mm-hmm. knees, but with your knees bent, sit down, you'd be very comfortable. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's about the size, well, maybe a little smaller, but about like the one um, in Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth. There's a scene <laughs> of Darcy getting water. He's sitting in his tub and getting water poured on him, actually. Okay. Kind of like that. Rewatch that. Yeah. It might be a little smaller than that one, because I'm trying to think, can he stretch out in that one? I don't quite remember. But He's tall, um, though. I He's think. tall, yeah, yeah. So um, so it might be a little smaller than that one, but it's that type of thing, the okay. sort of individual bathtub. Because then what it would do, two people would pick it up, right? You'd, you'd use the pitcher probably to take water and throw it out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually you'd, two people would pick it up and carry the rest of it outside and, like, pour it over the flowers or whatever. Sure. Yeah, so it's Sounds that kind good. of thing. Yeah. Um, except, obviously, that's... Not these. These you'd have to empty all the way with pitchers because they're like stone pottery. <laughs> so okay. um, we haven't gotten to the point, or alabaster, we haven't gotten to the point yet of the more, you know, like the basically metal tub, mm-hmm. <laughs> the sort of cheaper ones. Um, it's not impossible that people had them, but if you were slightly, if you were rich, but slightly less rich, but um, I don't think any of those have been found. So we, we couldn't say. Um it seems more like this is a thing, like, if you could afford it, you had a permanent one put in. Right? Yeah. <laughs> in other words, you And so, you know, if you couldn't afford it, you probably didn't get one. Um, so, um, let's see. Oh, the Incas had baths. Okay. They had large, sort of, public or ritual baths. There was a ceremonial complex with a stone altar and 14 baths that was found that's more than 500 years old, so pre-conquest. But they also had individual ones for royalty. Um, so there's a stone bath that was found that was probably for royalty um, at a an important site. Juan of Gopampa. So they had individual baths, again, for nobility, right? <laughs> um, but then ritual baths as well. So baths were for cleanliness and also for ritual. And of course, you did wildly wash in a river unless you were rich, and then you got your own tub. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. The Aztecs also had baths, um, and similar again, right? So the ritual baths, um, special baths, you know, individual for royalty. Um, and in this case, we also know that there were specific plants that they used as soaps and cleansers. There's a plant that was, oh. I think, the Spanish ended up calling like the soap plant. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Um. Yep. So, um, all right. Japan! Yes. <laughs> so Japan baths. Yes. Somehow, so banning Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it goes back basically as far as the known history of Japan. 
Which is forever because Japan learned to write and then loved to write down their own history. Yes. It, and it's worth pointing out a few things. So first off, <laughs> um, there are a lot of hot springs in Japan. So bathing probably became important partly because like it was so easy to do, right? Mm, as opposed yeah. to a lot of places where you like have to go into the cold water or this and that, like they're hot springs. So take advantage, right? <laughs> yeah. But Chinese historians in the third century CE, so we're on this t- side of the year zero, but still, this is a long time ago, 1700 years ago, whatever. So the third century, 1800 years, um, they commented on the bathing habits of Japan, actually. Mm. So like they were notable, <laughs> even though China also had baths, so it's, you know, they've been bathing yeah. for at least like 2000 years as well. Um, but they commented kind of on the, how much the Japanese bathed, basically. <laughs> okay. Um, so they were like, you know, we like bats, but those guys, they really like them. Exactly. Like, yeah. A yes. lot. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that happened, of course, with Buddhism showing up is that the sort of ritual connections were really strengthened. So then mm-hmm. bath- bathing is cleanliness, it's ritual, it's everything together. Bath hoses become part of the temples. Um, so, you know, it becomes very important. Um, and it is one of the things that the West knows about Japan, <laughs> I would say, right? Is like Japanese yes. baths and sushi and samurai, I guess. But like, okay, so there are a lot of movies and partially I mentioned this because I've watched My Neighbor Totoro like five times in the last year. Yes. <laughs> uh, because I live with small children. Yep. Is that there's a lot of um, ritual even around having a bath, I guess, in the household that mm-hmm. you don't think of in the in the West, right? Like if I'm going to give my right. kids a bath, I just plonk them in the tub. Whereas you right. you watch the movies, you see the kid like rinsing off outside of the tub and then they get in the tub to sort of like hang out. Yes. Um, and I think yeah. that sort of is what makes it notable. I mean, to me as like a, a Westerner that I'm, yeah. you know, they're, they're doing the social It's always a little more thing. ritualistic. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's funny because we talk a lot in class about rituals and like the rituals you have when you get up in the morning or when you take a shower or something like that. Um, and we frequently don't think of these things as rituals, but we tend to turn them into rituals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there might be things, you know, certainly as kids get older that, about bath time where you're like, you always have to have the rubber ducky or you always have to have, you know, so certain yeah. things can start to happen. Um, I think that the thing about Japan is just that that has really been codified, you know, so you are, yeah, that is expected. <laughs> your rituals don't emerge out of your individual preference. It is already ritualized. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, the interesting thing is, so Buddhism sort of, I don't know, enhances or solidifies, but mm-hmm. not even that, because if you think like Shinto already, um, there is this sense of a ritual connection to like water and the springs and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the idea that bathing should always have a kind of ritual component, you know, and to be fair, um, like Judaism and should also s- sort of have that, right? <laughs> um or supposed right. to. Reform Judaism does not as much unless you are right. converting. But Right. Um which I should I should clarify for listeners. I was pretty much raised reform Jewish. Um but like uh, orthodox Judaism 
you don't just visit the mikvah like once in your life when you convert. Um, you visit it if you're a woman. You might go monthly, right? Right. Um, yeah. Or and also for certain other important things. Yeah, I don't know as much about men's um, halachot, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But similar, right? So yeah, before important stuff. Um, so there is very much a sort of cleansing sense about it, right? Um, and it is kind of a gorgeous ritual, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking about that and what it what it means and sort of what it does. Um, Islam, of course, also similarly has ritual bathing that's very important. Um, and yeah, but but it's true. It, even in both those cases, it's not daily, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is to say, you're supposed to bathe probably daily, but the ritual not yeah. always ritualistically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Japan has just sort of codified in a sort of fascinating way. Um, and again, it has been around so long. Like, it's a very old part of the culture. <laughs> so yes. um, that probably also has something to do with it. You know, it's not seen as part of the modern world necessarily. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. for us, you know, it, it sort of is. Yeah. I mean, like, you can go here. I know where, if I wanted to go sit in a hot tub, I know where I could do that. But I cannot think where you would find a public bath, um, at least in Madison. Yes. Yeah. And actually, so I want to come back to that because, interestingly, um, we should mention that, of course, public baths do start to disappear. They start to disappear out of Europe um, because of things like the plague and so on, right? Um, mm-hmm. but the Ottoman Empire, of course, right? Late hmm. 13th through the 20th centuries, um, becomes a huge fan of public baths. This is partly driven, you know, by, um, Islam in some ways, to which bathing, of course, is very important. Um, and the Ottoman Empire is taking over, I mean, it takes over most of the Middle East and North Africa and large chunks of Europe all the way through, like, Greece and yes. what's north of Greece. Um, so they run into public baths, right? So, of course, like Islam, but even, you know, what's left kind of in parts of Europe um, and just love public baths. So they disseminate public baths across all of their territories the way the Greeks and the Romans once had. Seems fair. And this is, yeah, yeah but this is why we now call them Turkish baths. <laughs> oh, right? because of the. Okay. Yes. Because of the Ottoman Empire. Um, and they do actually proliferate around the U.S. for a while. Um, there's still a few left, I think, in New York and stuff. But arguably one of the things that happens, of course, is, once again, they are all male. And I think they are replaced by public swimming pools. <laughs> uh-huh. Right? Which anyone can go to and are family-friendly, etc. And that sort of becomes the thing. And the U.S., particularly with its puritanic sensibilities, the sort of all-male bathing places started to have, right, they were Connotations. under suspicious of, yeah, right, and I'm sure they were raided by police looking for, like, yeah. you know, queer activity and stuff and all that well, sort of thing. Yeah, so. I don't know, I don't know enough about the history of the 1970s to really provide comment, but... I feel like there was there was still bathhouse being shut down um, at the beginning mm-hmm. of the AIDS epidemic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, all of this is like it's very much a part of its history. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't entirely untrue. I mean, of course, that was a good place to meet because it was just men. Um, but you know, one of the thing about 
actually we're back to the idea of plague suddenly, right? Because AIDS is not spread, unlike yes. things like the bubonic plague or COVID, which are spread when you're in close proximity with other people. You know, either because of the fleas jumping or a case of COVID just breathing on people. Um, AIDS, <laughs> AIDS is, is not, not spread, spread that way. Sharing baths. No. But there was 100% that fear. Even when people knew it wasn't true, that fear mongered Yeah, spread. I remember seeing a poster that said you can't get AIDS from sharing a swimming pool with somebody. Yes. And it was like a very early awareness poster because yeah. this must have been like 1989 was like the mm, time period yeah. when I would have been like I would have known how to read and also this was a thing. And I, right. so I didn't know what right. AIDS was. So right. I had to ask my mom about that part, but um, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, absolutely right. You can't just get to be clear. Pool. There were other activities that might have been going on at a bathhouse that they would have been more concerned about. Right. Well, mostly the sex, I imagine. <laughs> can get AIDS from <laughs> yes, <laughs> but that that wasn't you know, and that is one of the reasons they were shut down as well. But um, but there was that fear. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so a lot of these things convened, actually. And honestly, also, I think, to be fair, um, the very fact that they were known as Turkish baths, ultimately, right? Mm -hmm. That there was this, you know, racist connotations about it, I'm sure. Just because, you know, the other, the whatever, um, somehow exotic places where things happen. Oh. Um, I was gonna say, like, it's nice, like, it's finally a Turkish but, thing that they actually call... A Turkish thing, like how Greek yogurt is actually yes. Turkish yogurt, but we call it Greek. But don't yogurt say that in Greece. Yeah, the Greece oh. def Greeks definitely. It's Greek oh. yogurt. It's Greek coffee. Oh no, hundred <laughs> percent. This is worse than who invented hummus. Okay, we won't. Um, it's Greek. Greek dessert. <laughs> yes. Um, Greek. You don't say Turkish delight. Okay. Yeah. Well, not even Turkish delight. Um. You know, like baklava and stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Oh. Okay. It's all Greek. <laughs> yes. I say this I, as someone who's going to be taking students back to Greece and will have to I, tell them, don't call any of this Turkish. I think I saw yeah. that movie too. Uh, yeah. Maybe anyway. that Greek wedding where they talk about. Yes. yes. Okay. Don't call it. Um, yes. We're talking about Turkish anyway. baths. The hammam. Yeah. I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which, which yes, are... In that case, Turkish. They are yes. actually Turkish. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, they start out kind of, I mean, they're Islamic, but yes, Turkey, the Ottoman Empire is the one, they carry them everywhere, so they are fairly called mm -hmm. Turkish bands. Um, but anyway, so for a lot of reasons, they do end up getting sort of shut down. They still exist, but they start get shut down. And yeah, like I said, the modern swimming pool with its sort of family-friendly anyone-can-go, men and women, kids, um, becomes, I think, then the thing. Yeah. Um, but yes, between sort of probably racism and the AIDS scares and just sort of homophobia. All those things also end up shutting them down in the U.S. Um, the U.S. has huge problems with homosocial activities in ways that other cultures that can be much more homophobic do not have issues because they have such a long history of... And it's actually funny because, of course, Greece back in the day, <laughs> there was definitely... Homosexual activity definitely was part of their homosocial activity in places yes. like baths. Modern Greece, that is not necessarily supposed to be the case, but, um, anyway, you know, but there, anyway, this really long history that the U.S., you know, with all sort of 
issues. We have so many issues about things that we, it's you a, know, so it's we. It's a puritanical, <laughs> like, the suspicion, yeah. right? Like, the yes, the yes. whole thing about, like, closed doors and chaperones yeah. and stuff. Like, when you have a strong right. tradition of homosocial activity, you can excuse a lot just by being like, no, they're yeah. just friends. It's fine. Yes. I actually have to say, so this makes me think, because we are, once again, sort of rewatching Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And um, in the first season, there's a great episode. It's kind of um, Jake Peralta, played by Andy Seberg. It's kind of his first real change arc as a character mm-hmm. in this episode. Up till now, he's just been kind of an idiot. But he has this moment, and it's um, he, his favorite writer, who's kind of this schlock writer who followed around these terrible, like, racist detectives in the 70s and made them seem like amazing cops. Um, he's following Peralta around. And basically deriding him for, like, being a desk jockey or whatever. And, and not drinking um, enough. And, yeah. Yes. All, yeah, all of that. I have seen this one. Yes. Oh, it's a great episode. Right. And so he basically, <laughs> they drink, like, two bottles of scotch. Um, and then the next day, Peralta shows up and can't remember what he said. And then he gets a copy of the article and realizes he just, like, said terrible things about his boss, who, of course, is uh, played by Andrew Brower. Um, so Captain Raymond Holt, who is... Um, a black gay captain, right? And Peralta actually deeply admires him, even though he's annoyed by what a stickler he is for the rules. So he calls the guy up. He's like, you can't, <laughs> you can't print this. He goes to see him in the baths. And they actually yes. have this whole scene in the baths in New York. So there you are. Yes. They were still around at least then. And I think maybe at least one is actually to this day. But, um, and that's sort of the, that is definitely the joke, right? That, this is seen as this sort of manly activity where they're all hanging out in the baths. And yet, of course, what ends up happening is the guy agrees he's not going to run the thing, but then he says this really, like, homophobic comment about the captain. <laughs> yes. We must, and we won't say what happens, but as I said, like, Jake, you know, it's a great episode. Everyone should watch it. Um, But that is definitely part of the satire of this episode, right? That this guy, who's sort of this terrible guy, wrote about these cops who are terrible people back in the day, that here he is, right? This manly thing, right? He drinks two bottles of scotch and da-da-da, this and that. Um, And then here we are, the baths, all naked men together. And how homophobic he is, right? And there is absolutely that commentary. Um, And that's, yeah, that's definitely one of the things about <laughs> one of the issues that can happen um and is a reason why things like baths have been shut down yeah yes so um but great episode um i do want to give a shout out i think to china because we didn't yet um they have also been bathing for thousands of years um at least over two thousand years with private bathtubs for royalty so once again um in 2017 Yes, yeah. 2017 archaeologists in um, Shanxi province excavated three royal bathrooms that had ceramic floor and wall tiles and drainage holes and sewage pipes. We'll talk more about those things next time. Um, And yeah, so they were royal bathrooms with with bathtubs. There you go. Um, They were clearly private. Um, China had public baths by the Middle Ages, for sure. Um, Previously, people filled up you know, pots with water and same as everybody else, poured it over themselves. Um, but also in the Middle Ages, like, sorry, in the early Middle Ages, so the sort of Han Dynasty, the officials 
sort of imperial officials were allowed to take one day off every five days for a day of rest and washing one's hair. No. Okay. And this continued. Um, later dynasties started to lessen the number of days. So after a while, it became like one day every... One day off every ten days. <laughs> and then and then it started to slowly, you know, diminish. But um, anyway, so the importance of bathing, right? That you'd be given a rest day and bathing is one of the things you were... Ex- Maybe not in a bath if you didn't have access to one, but washing is one of the things you were expected to do, right? Wash your hair. Yes. Um, We should end with, because we've been talking about these types of baths, um, Native Americans, of course, also bathed in rivers and streams and so on, but also some Native Americans had steam or sweat baths, Mm -hmm. which we tend to associate with Nordic countries. Right. But that is, of course, the sort of final, yeah. Finish. Finland yes. loves their sauna, right? Yes. Yeah. But the sauna, of course, is one of the final types of bathing. <laughs> mm-hmm. It may not involve immersing oneself in water, but uh, steam. Sure. And this is, of course, supposed to be cleanliness. And speaking of, like, hot baths versus cold baths, this is the ex- this is the opposite of, right, the... Some people think plunging in ice water is great. Well, this is the opposite. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> this is the <laughs> full-on... Yes. Um... Wow. You know. And I have never been in a sauna. I don't... I'm not a heat person. It's not my thing. Despite my quarter Norwegian (laughs) ancestry. (laughs) Um, I think the Japanese part is more prevalent in this case. The actual, like... I can see a hot spring, sure. But not a sauna. Oof. Nope. (laughs) Too much. I feel like they... They seem appealing. Like, I, I'm i definitely a heat person. I'm always cold. Oh, um, well then. But I just don't think I've ever been in one. Like, I'm always worried that they seem a little scrungy when you go to I suppose if ones. you actually go to Norway or Finland, yeah. Yeah. I bet they're gorgeous. I mean, I've, I seen have I've seen pictures of them. They're gorgeous. Um, the professional... Professional runners, especially professional ultra runners, who uh-huh. want to acclimate themselves to heat, but happen oh, to gosh. live someplace like Madison, Wisconsin, right. where we might not have that yes. year round, will spend like time in a sauna to, oh, you know, expose themselves to heat. Ugh. Nope. I'm against heat. <laughs> <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> yep. Just All me. Right. But I'm saying. Yep. Nope. No, no. So we're already at like an hour 25. Do we want to do toothbrushes next time? Yes, we will talk about cleaning your teeth and also about plumbing next time. Cool. Yay. But that is a whole thing about baths and soap and sponges even. Um, And hopefully puts to rest the idea that people have not tried to wash and be clean because people have been doing this for, I mean, thousands of years. Yeah. It's just about access and sometimes poverty and, of course, all those things. But that is equally true today. That is 100% equally true today. <laughs> like, So, yeah. Anyway. So, if you have fallen into bad habits over the course of the pandemic, and then you right. fall backward in time, you need to get back into bathing because people will look at you funny if you don't. Okay? <laughs> Good. Yep. Um... So it just remains for me to say thank you for talking to me. This has been a great conversation. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. 
You can catch other episodes of the podcast on any app that you happen to enjoy or go to our website at askamedievalist.com. Ping us on Facebook, which is, I think, facebook.com slash askamedievalist or on Twitter at askamedievalist. Um, Leave us a review if you like it or subscribe. Uh, Send us a note. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, keep it medieval. Ask a Medievalist is a production of This Can't Be That Hard Studios and is not endorsed, acknowledged, or condoned by Virginia Commonwealth University or any of its constituent departments. Our theme music is Veni Veni Venias from Carmina Burana by Carl Orff, performed by the MIT Concert Choir and licensed under a Creative Commons Attributional Non-Commercial License version 3.0. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, why not tell a friend? For more on today's topic, including sources, annotations, and corrections, visit our website at www.askamedievalist.com. And if you have questions, feel free to drop us an email at questions at askamedievalist.com. 